Policy Radio. We're the show that talks about the social implications of popular culture, even when it's not Black Panther Month. Um, so uh, we're happy to have you joining us on the, pod- on the podcast again for another episode focused on Black Panther. And this week's episode will be focusing in particular on the social implications of the movie with an expert who's going to be joining us to highlight some of the many examples of fans using Black Panther for real-world activism, as well as some thoughts about the movie's impact in, the, in Hollywood in general and, uh, and also just taking a look at issues of representation in Hollywood cinema based on some interesting reports that they've released. And that guest is going to be is Alan Jenkins. Um, he is the president and co-founder of the Opportunity Agenda, which is a social justice communications lab dedicated to the idea that our nation can and should be a place where everyone enjoys full and equal opportunity. Jenkins is a lifelong fan of comics and sci-fi. The Opportunity Agenda released the report, The Power of Pop, Analyzing Portrayals of Immigrants in Popular Television, which evaluated the portrayal of immigrants in 40 leading TV shows, including The Walking Dead, NCIS, Orange is the New Black, Big Bang Theory, Parks and Rec, and Scandal. And he also wrote a piece in Ebony that came out a number of months ago about the importance of Black Panther. So, Alan, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Um, you know, I, I feel like you guys are an organization that's really been talking about the importance of storytelling in shaping the popular consciousness for, for a long time. And, you know, usually you're talking about this, I think, for an audience of folks who work in the nonprofit sector. Um, I think our listeners on this are a range of folks, some of whom work for nonprofits, but a lot of them are just fans who care about the world at large. Uh, do you want to share a little bit about like what is the opportunities agenda analysis of the role of popular culture and social change? Sure. So, you know, our organization uses communications and culture to move hearts, minds, and policy on social justice issues. And, you know, culture has always been a driver of social change and, and public opinion. Uh, it was true, you know, in the, the 50s and 60s uh, with the you know, the films of Sidney Poitier and, uh, you know, Marian Anderson singing at the, the Lincoln Memorial. It was true during the labor movement. It was true during the women's rights movement. And it's really still true today. And art and culture really reaches people in a different way than, you know, facts and, and ideas. And, you know, it spurs people to action, but it also has a way of, uh, you know, telling a story not only of the, you know, what's wrong with the world right now, but also the world as it could be. And that's really, I think, what, what we see as the, the greatest power of Black Panther and, and Wakanda. It's really telling us a story of uh, a, uh, an African nation, uh, you know, unencumbered by so much of the discrimination and legacy of, of uh, uh, you know, colonialism. So, you know, we think of that kind of storytelling as really important. It's fun, right? I've, I've already seen the film twice, and, uh, you know, the first time was uh, purely as a fan. But uh, it also is, is really powerful for changing minds. Awesome. And, and uh, you yourself are coming at this you know, as a fan, first and foremost, as well, right? I am for sure. I've I've got uh, three thousand comics in my uh, attic, and uh, there there are quite a few Black Panther comic books in there, and so it's been a, a long time coming from when I I bought my first uh, Black Panther comic book to when uh, he reached the 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 big screen. Yeah, definitely. I mean. You know, I, I knew when this movie was announced that it had massive potential, I guess, a galvanizing moment for 
fans like in black geek culture and nerd culture at large. But, you know, did you feel like you had a sense of what this movie would mean to black families outside of, you know, fan communities? Well, I, I knew what it could mean. Uh, you know, not only the original Black Panther, the, the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby creation, but uh, Reggie Hudlin, the director, also was a writer for Black Panther for several years, and I guess it would have been the, the late 80s or early 90s. Um, and, you know, Reggie really brought a lot of the kind of uh, Afrofuturism into the the series and really kind of got into what would it mean as a you know political matter geopolitical matter to have a, a black African country that had this kind of resources and independence and so you know I knew if they if they went down the the Reggie Hudlin uh, route in terms of the storytelling that it was going to be something that was deeply resonant I, I have to say that you know, I didn't anticipate that it would be, uh, you know, they would pick a, a black director with such uh, storytelling chops in the black community that they would cast it in the way that they did, that it would, you know, there would be a Kendrick Lamar soundtrack. So uh, I, I do have to say, yeah, it's turned out to be more resonant than I would have expected. Well, I do think this is a new model, right? Like we saw just this week, um, uh, Joss Whedon stepped down from the Batgirl movie, which lots mm-hmm. of folks had said was a really behind the times idea having him do Batgirl. You know, he, he'd recently come out as having done a number of messed up things from a sexism standpoint, like in terms of his relationship with his own wife and actors. Uh, but yeah. also just that, like, we know that we don't need men, you know, like the spunky heroine that he told the story of back in the nineties that made a big difference to a lot of young people. Like when you're looking at it now through a more critical lens is like, actually maybe not, where we would be telling a story in the year 2018 and, you know, with the success of Wonder Woman and Black Panther, it was like, I think this is one of those cases where an own voices sort of story writer could really make a difference. And I, I really do look at him stepping down and he even admitted, he admitted that he didn't really have a story to tell mm-hmm. um, when he stepped down. And I just was like, I said like, look, I, you know, I think a lot of our culture is men who don't have stories to tell taking up space because they don't know what else to do with themselves. Uh, so I think like, this model of Black Panther of having it not just be a black star, but a black writer. And they had one of the executive producers is black and a black director and a black cast, like showing that the increased value that 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 created in the art, but also like the increased loyalty of supporters Mm -hmm. uh, was, you know, really important to that as well. Yeah. I I think that's really right. And when, you know, we'll see what lesson they derive the you know Hollywood derives from the success but I think uh, leaning into fandom leaning into the core uh, support that you know they figured out that they could the Disney and Marvel figured out that they could get and you know admittedly taking a chance uh, with Kugler who's a phenomenal director uh, but had had not directed something of, of this scale I think really paid off for just the reason you described and I think also suggests that actually risk-taking in that sense is really smart uh, and that going with a Joss Whedon, going with, you know, exactly the people who you know and who have, have done, you know, countless number of, of stories is not actually what's needed now that we've got dozens of superhero films. Uh, now is the time to do something really interesting and, and different and to lift up different and diverse voices. And I'm, so I'm glad to see that that's happening. You know, I, I just saw a piece on some variety that folks shared with me. Um, there was an interview with the lobbyist 
for the movie theater industry. Uh, and he was talking about how this shows that, that the movie theaters really want to have more movies with diverse casts uh, and, the, and, and in the leads. And that they are, the movie theater lobbyists are calling on Hollywood to do a better job of bringing those out. And um, a couple of my film uh, industry friends, um, friend of the show, David Brendan Wilson and, and Dirk Lester, they both were saying, like, it's, they're not surprised that that first call from within the industry is coming from the movie theater side of it because the movie theaters don't have to hire anybody different in order to uh, serve a more diverse attendance and audience for their movies. But the studios are going to have to hire some people of color mm-hmm. in the development department for the first time. And throughout the, you know, it's not like they're not going to be able to just hire a black director. They're going to actually have to change with, you know, multiple roles within the industry. And I know you guys have looked a lot at the roles of writers within the industry and race. Um, and I, I, I would love to get your thoughts about that. Cause I really was thinking like, Oh my God, that's a great point. It's coming from the theaters because the theaters can just keep showing the movies and making money and they don't actually have to change their hiring patterns to take advantage of the zeitgeist. Right. Well, I, I definitely think it's right that, you know, the, the less structural change you need to, to make the easier it is to get on board for change. I think it's worth acknowledging that the, the, that this call is coming from the theaters is itself a change because I can remember times when theaters were not wanting to screen films with black folks or that would attract black audiences uh, for you know reasons of, of racism. And so, you know, it, it's now the case that that's starting to change. And of course it's, it's starting to change because of the bottom line. Uh, there's a you know ton of research, including most recently from a study from UCLA that shows that uh, diversity on screen helps the the box office and and the bottom line. And theaters are struggling more, much more so than the studios are struggling. And so you know they're really recognizing that their future, their economic future, lies with a more diverse America that we're we're becoming. Uh, but you know to your original point, I think it's it's definitely the case that for studios, that would really mean it. It means hiring people who you, you may be quite different from you and you may not uh, have the same cultural references. It means, uh, you know, that you may not ha- be able to hire your best friend's kid, uh, you know, coming mm-hmm. out of uh, film school. It means uh, a lot of change. And, and change that extends beyond the bottom line, right? Dollars and cents are certainly very important in Hollywood. But at the end of the day, most people who break into Hollywood break in through pre-existing relationships and social capital. And that's always been more difficult for people of color and, and for women because of, of discrimination, but also uh, because of, of unintentional bias. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I'm also just thinking, like, you, in your report, you, you, you were looking, did you guys do work looking at um, the, the composition of writer's rooms, or was that a different report that I'm, that, I'm thinking Yeah, about that's here. a different report. I mean, we, we oh, referenced okay. it, but that but we didn't do that report. It's, I mean, it, oh, okay. it's stunning, however, uh, the, the numbers there with respect to both people of color and women, uh, the stats are extremely low. But what, what our most recent report showed. So that was really scanning, as you noted, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of, of television shows, streaming, cable, and, and uh, mm-hmm. network. 
And, you know, that was looking specifically at depictions of immigrants and immigration. And what we found was that not only are immigrants underrepresented, but there's a serious racial skew. So uh, immigrants of color are much more likely than white European immigrants to be depicted as involved in crime or, or in uh, menial tasks, or uh, they're, they're much less likely to be recurring characters. Uh, the most stunning statistic, I think, is that um, Latino immigrants, Latinx immigrants, 50% of their depictions are as people associated with crime. Yes, and I... that, yeah, I mean, it's really stunning. And that's, that's the case, even though we know from tons of data that uh, immigrants are actually less likely to be involved in crime than citizens, uh, which is not surprising because they have a lot more to lose uh, it, it, with uh, involvement yeah. <laughs> in crime. And so, uh, you know, that's despite the fact that, you know, there was a lot of outrage in, in Hollywood about, you know, anti-immigrant policies and the Muslim ban and the like. But when you look at what Hollywood is producing, uh, it is uh, systemically uh, negative in its, in its portrayals. Yeah, I and I think obviously like the composition of you know the writers' rooms helps contribute to that problem. But it's also like how blind you know the writers. It wasn't. I I should say I used to work for the Writers Guild, right? So I mm-hmm. I, I love writers. I know writers. I help them fight for fair contracts. But like, you know, they live in LA and they live in New York. Like they're clearly coming into contact with people who are immigrants who do all kinds of jobs all the time. It's just a question of like how are you, you know how how are these stories not coming out anyway, you know? Well, true, um, but, it, you know, it's, it's also who do you identify with. So it's not just who you come in contact with, but when you think of a story in your head, how are you casting it in your mind? You know, I, I, an interesting counterexample is um, Master of None, as, as he's on Sari's show, uh-huh. which is phenomenal. And in, in his second uh, season, he one of the episodes he has is something called um, New York, I Love You. And it's been described as, you know, what a Woody Allen movie would look like if there were people of color in it. And, uh, you know, there's, there's um, a segment that's told from the perspective of a, a deaf African-American woman. There's a perspective told from uh, a story from the perspective of an African immigrant cab driver. There's, uh, you know, and these are the characters that are usually extras in most yeah. storytelling. Uh, but he and his co-writers are coming at it from, well, what if the story were about these folks? And, you know, it's, you don't have to be a person of color or a woman in order to tell a story about uh, the, from that perspective, but it is much more natural to do so uh, if, mm-hmm. if you come from that perspective. And, you know, that's true in the comic book world as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the uh, one of the really exciting things that I think a lot of us in our nonprofit land have been really reacting from, and, and also just building strategy with, in the movie, is looking at what are the opportunities for activism that fans have independently uh, cooked up online um, that we've seen. And you know, the Black Panther challenge was that huge that huge undertaking that raised like millions of dollars really to send low-income children, um, I think predominantly black children, to go to see the movie for free. And mm. that one was a really big one. But, I've, you know, we, we've been sort of keeping track of more and more of these great examples that have been coming out. Um, I, I, I don't think I mentioned, talked about Wakanda the Vote much the last episode we did about Black Panther. But uh, are you familiar with that, with that effort? Hashtag Wakanda I am. The it's, Vote? It, 
I am. In fact, it's it's one of my favorites. So this is uh, a group organizing voter registration uh, drives at the Black Panther screenings and taking advantage of the physical presence of, of folks waiting online and hanging around, but also, uh, you know, a, a community that's, you know, jazzed about, uh, you know, participating. And so uh, that one I just think is, is really smart. You have a film that's, you know, shattering box office and where one of the unique things about seeing films at a movie theater is that you have a congregation of, of folks uh, in a way that's not true with, you know, Netflix or, or uh, mm-hmm. the like. So, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorites. And, I, you know, it'd be great to see. I'm sure we'll hear some reports about the numbers, but it will be great to, to hear um, how many folks became new voters or at least newly registered to vote as a, a result of that effort. So that's definitely one of my favorites. Super smart, yeah. One of the ones that I just came in contact with was called Hashtag Schools in Wakanda, which um, an education justice organization did. Um, just, I guess it was last week, uh, they uh, basically started this hashtag, Schools in Wakanda, to encourage people to think about what would schools be like in a truly, you know, black-centered, uh, you know, country and space, and like what would mm. justice in those schools look like? Um, I think they had uh, the group was hosting it. Yeah, it was called Just Schools, and um, you know, people had comments like in Wakanda, hashtag in Wakanda, educators practice transformative justice and everyone is mm. skilled in conflict resolution to keep students safe. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And in Wakanda, educators and school officials prioritize building strong relationships. Um, somebody even specifically pointed to uh, a piece of legislation that was going to like help keep students from dealing with the police unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a, a bill out in California, and I just was like, "This is such an amazing way to start talking about something really wonky, like to literally have somebody bring up a piece of legislation in context of the movie and right. open up that conversation." Yeah, the group is called um, Just Schools. Folks should definitely follow them online. Two Communities for Just Schools Fund. Um, yeah, I actually else know Just. I, well, oh, I was just going to say, I, I actually know just schools, I, but I did not know that they were involved in, in that effort. So, but they, they do fantastic work around, uh, you know, both quality education and uh, racial equity in, in the schools and problem solving. So that sounds uh, like a perfect connection to Wakanda. Totally. Yeah. And I feel like it's really easy to talk about movies in terms of like parallels, you know, between things in history or in the present and in movies. And it can be a lot harder to like, you know, we talk about Logan and the border wall. It's like all right there, but it can be a lot harder to sort of think about it from a speculative, creative and positive standpoint of visioning what we want in the world. So I I thought that was particularly impressive and worth, you know, like trying to, trying to engage in. Yeah, I you know we have an expression at at the opportunity agenda. There's a reason why Martin Luther King Jr.'s greatest speech was not called "I Have a Complaint," and you know it's <laughs> it's really uh, you know it's it's true as advocates, and I'm a lifelong advocate as well as a comic book geek. I, you know we're much better at saying what we're against than what we're for. But there's a you know a, a ton of experience tells us that uh, people have compassion fatigue. You know it, Americans are in no mood to hear about some new problem, especially one that doesn't directly visibly concern them, without 
you know, immediately tying it to a solution. And when you can actually envision, uh, you know, part of the power of, of art, as I said, is you can envision a truly transformative world, not just, you know, how could we incrementally improve our, you know, criminal justice system, but uh, what would it mean to completely reinvent it from a, a place of our shared values? Uh, that to me is, is kind of the most exciting thing. And, and, you know, Wakanda then becomes a stand-in for so many of our shared hopes and dreams and aspirations. There's an amazing quote from um, science fiction writer and activist Adrian Marie Brown, which is, all organizing is science fiction, because mm. we are coming up with, the, you know, a future about we, that we would like to see in the world, you know. And I, that just blew my mind um, and made perfect sense. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. I think maybe my amendment would be the, the best communi- community organizing is science fiction. I think, uh, you know, mm. we don't always, sometimes when you're kind of fighting the day-to-day battles, you don't always get to that transformative point, but that's what we're all shooting for. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got a question coming in. Um, were you familiar with uh, Daniel David List did a run on Black Panther in which he, Black Panther was replacing Daredevil in New York during one of the many times, presumably that Daredevil is in prison or something horrible happens to him because it's Daredevil. So it's, you know, kind of all the time. And during that period of time, uh, uh, during that period of time, Black Panther was undocumented, was an undocumented immigrant. I know that um, Define American and the Harry Potter Alliance folks uh, mentioned that story in their own activism toolkit. Wasn't sure if you had, I'd seen that story because it was actually news to me. No, I haven't seen that run, but I will now be going on eBay to uh, <laughs> to find it. I had had not heard about that. Um, I mean, well, we yeah. we we do know that you know w- one of the actors in Black Panther is himself you know undocumented and a, a DACA recipient. So that's been a kind of a, a you know another source of conversation as DACA is uh, you know and, and the safety of Dreamers is perpetually in in doubt. And he was on our podcast maybe about a month ago. So folks should totally check out that episode where I interviewed Bamba John Bamba, who also you oh, probably fantastic. know from the good, from the good place. Cause he right. definitely has a, he has a, he has a bigger and better role there. Um, yeah. So yeah. I was like, Oh, I feel like, yeah, but anyway, uh, but yeah, no, that's a great example. I'll, I'll, I'll post that toolkit around if it was super cool. Um, I guess one of the questions I also have for you as someone who thinks about sort of the power of storytelling are like, what are the sort of, symbols that were generated by Black Panther that you think have real lasting power? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think there, you know, there's both the kind of code switching at which, uh, you know, I'll talk about and then the, the forward looking metaphors. Uh, so one of the things that I really admire about the film is that it is speaking simultaneously to multiple audiences. So it, it reminded me almost of, you know, uh, in uh, during the slavery period african drums were used you know by slaves to communicate with each other in ways that uh, others could not understand to talk you know to plan escape or to communicate about deaths or you know that that uh, pe- you know when families were separated and you know there's really some of that in the black Panther film and and in the comic book so some people you know will watch you know the the, the villain claw and, you know, he's just a great villain, right? He's, he's funny and, you know, you hate him, but you also love to hate him. Uh, but, you know, it's no coincidence that he's, he's uh, a, you know, Afrikaner from South Africa. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, for, for so many of us who were active, you know, anti-apartheid, uh, you know, he's in some ways, the, in many ways, the face of, of a, you know, a villain at the governmental level that so many of us were, were opposing. Um, you know, the, the scene of the, uh, you know, the kidnapped girls, uh, something so, uh, you know, that so many people of color, not only people of color, uh, many white folks as well, were involved in, uh, you know, the, the effort to find and bring back girls who were kidnapped in Nigeria by uh, Boko Haram. Uh, you know, we see, we see that uh, scene, you know, um, and uh, the effort by by um, uh, the the Wakandan government uh, to to reclaim them, the Nakia character uh, posing as a spy, uh, you know, those are all things that you know the child soldier, right? You'll you know I don't want to spoil the film for those who haven't seen it yet, but there's a scene in which a child soldier is is saved because he's just a child. Uh, and so, you know, the, and, and even the casting of Michael B. Jordan, who so many of us know from Fruitvale Station, where he played, you know, Oscar Grant, who was was uh, killed by police. Uh, you know, those are, are callbacks that uh, some of them, you know, really uh, people who are activists in the black community and on racial justice issues will understand. Uh, but, you know, for a lot of theater goers, it's just good entertainment. And, you know, that's OK. Uh, so, you know, there's the, the code switching, which I think, you know, will be the source of endless, you know, I think it will make this a film that is taught in film school uh, and probably, you know, in academia generally for a long time uh, in a way that, you know, Thor Ragnarok probably won't. Um, but then there's there's also the, you know, the metaphors, which are remarkable. So, you know, you you mentioned uh, that, you know, so many of the existing Marvel films, the X-Men especially, are, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in many ways about uh, outsiders and uh, the, you know, the struggle between militancy and, and nonviolence. Uh, Ragnarok itself is, is a film about uh, refugees and, and, uh, mm-hmm. in ways, uh, and, and immigrants. But, you know, the in Black Panther, you know, vibranium is really a stand-in for all the resources of the African continent that were, you know, drained and ravaged through colonialism and, and outside interference, and, and also by, um, you know, poor poor governance and corruption. Uh, you know, what if what if those had been maintained? Uh, what if Africa had been spared? You know, all all those ravages, and this question of what is the obligation of the free to the unfree? Uh, and again, you know, I don't want to spoil uh, too much of it for your your listeners who may not have seen I, the I film. Think, but you know, it, it should really be fine at this point. Like we're doing it at the end of February. You know, I, I think it's okay. We can. We can say spoilers. I can even tell people half an hour in, we begin spoilers. So, <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, the the um, villain, who's uh, you know, in many ways a very intellectually uh, attractive uh, or sympathetic villain, Killmonger, mm-hmm. is you know was left by um, you know by his his uncle, uh, the Black Panthers, the, the previous Black Panther, and you know a lot of the the film is asking the question all right, if you are Wakanda and you have all these resources and you have this debt 
to those you've you've left behind and excluded. What are your obligations? You know, is your obligation to protect your own and uh, to to make sure that uh, you know nobody knows about you and nobody you know has access to your resources, or is your obligation to help the people who don't have the opportunity that you have? And literally, you know, right up until the end of the film, you're, you're seeing that struggle play out. I think you know that's very real. It's real for, um, you know, African-Americans who have, uh, you know, through luck or, or circumstance have accessed opportunity and privilege and really have, a, a, you know, are grappling with the obligation of how to give back and, and to share that opportunity. It's relevant for the United States as a country that was, uh, you know, really formed by the combination of, of indigenous peoples and slavery and immigration. Uh, you know, what obligation ought we have to the outside world. So, I mean, these are huge themes for for a, uh, a comic book, uh, you know, superhero film, but they they all play out and really succinctly uh, and well told. So, I you know, I think those are going to be some of the conversations and themes that are really going to be lasting and what are going to cause people to see this film over and over again, um, not just because it's exciting, but because every time you see it, you, you see a new level of nuance. You know, I'm really glad that you mentioned the themes of immigration and diaspora in Thor Ragnarok, because that was definitely a focal point for our conversation on the show about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I've literally seen, like, you know, large chunks of film critics, like, not, and, and certainly fans, like, not recognize those themes in it, whereas in Black Panther, it's, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody writing about it without acknowledging, at least from the a narrow standpoint of, quote, diversity, quote, the movie's importance. Mm. I've been struggling with the question of whether the fact that Thor wasn't marketed, you know, as a political film, which of course it wasn't, and it wouldn't want it to be, and it wouldn't have succeeded as such, but also the fact that it was a comedy made it so that maybe some of the political points were just, like, just too subtle for the audience. And And what does that really mean when we're making movies like this? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that's possible. I I think that comedy is actually a very effective form of, of social commentary in part because, uh, you know, it, it speaks to kind of higher truths, but, uh, you know, and, and kind of cuts through the rhetoric and facts, but also because people let their guard down in a way, you know, that, mm-hmm. and, are, and are open to new messages. So I don't, I don't think the fact that um, Thor was a comedy or at least really funny was necessarily a bar, but I think, uh, you know, it was that, that theme was buried a little deeper. It comes at the, the, um, refugee theme. It comes in mostly at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's, it is in a, a film that is, you know, kind of funny and quirky and, and interesting. So, I, you know, I think people just weren't expecting it. I think, you know, we have come to be much uh, more likely to expect social commentary in films by and about, black people than we yeah, are with, you, uh, you know, about that? Is, is that, is that, is that okay? Is that a problem in terms of longevity? Well, maybe, I mean, I, I think it's okay. I mean, I think that I, you know, as an African-American, I'm, I'm proud that, uh, you know, create creatives and artists in, in our community have um, felt, you know, the responsibility and also been, uh, you know, innovative enough to tell really compelling stories and to to touch on important social commentary, and that you know includes comedians like uh, you know Richard Pryor and and Dave Chappelle, right? Not just 
um, filmmakers or, or playwrights. Uh, you know, I would like to see more of it. And, you know, it's really interesting to me that uh, Marvel is so frequently, you know, going in that territory. Uh, you know, I think, as, as you noted, I mean, X-Men is really, uh, you know, a film about social justice. Uh, you know, the last couple of Avengers movies have, have grappled with kind of interesting, uh, or, or the Captain America movies, I guess, that, that yeah, have the certainly. Avengers in them. Uh, have have grappled with uh, social justice issues. So you know, I'm I'm glad that uh, black themed movies have have continued to do that. I hope that it it continues to to spread. You know, but always combined with high quality entertainment. I think if you know if it mm-hmm. feels preachy, uh, you know, n- nobody's going to want to go see it. Even the people who agree with the message. So you know, I think that the skill and the challenge is really great storytelling, whether it's funny or exciting or or dynamic that um, also carries an important message. Are there things that you think that nonprofit organizations and activists should be really doing with the success of the movie and thinking about in their own campaigns? I know Wrinkle in Time is coming out like any minute now, but even with Black Panther, I mean, it's still, we're still going to be talking about it for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are quite a few ways and you know, this is not unique to, to Black Panther, but, Excuse me, but I think you know, with with uh, films or or other pieces that become a cultural phenomenon, the the opportunities are especially great. So you know, I think one is uh, you know, kind of fan hacking, right? So you mentioned Harry Potter Alliance, and they're uh, you know the the really the uh, czars of of that strategy of of uh, rounding up and you know through social media and other means. Uh, organizing people who are fans of a particular character or medium or series and, uh, you know, encouraging them, fostering for them and and, uh, creating easy ways for them to be active on issues that relate. Harry Potter Alliance did a great um, series, for example, around the Hunger Games, uh, which was, you know, is in many ways a a film about, uh, or both the books and the films are about uh, both inequality and, you know, dictatorship. And, you know, I think that that kind of fan hacking is one really important way. I think the, you know, the Wakanda the Vote kind of idea that because this is a film seen at this point in movie theaters, you can actually, um, you know, you can approach people who are, are gathered to see it and organize them to vote or, you know, do discussion groups or, you know, share information and the like, uh, you know, in, in social media, uh, because you know, with with uh, hashtags, we can actually. It's much easier to find those conversations of uh, mm-hmm. you know around emerging themes. I think you know we need to be really linking people whose attention we have to action as well as to discussion. You know, we should certainly be discussing the the themes of the film and and you know how they relate to our current reality and there's so many connections there uh, but also you know what can you do immediately uh, you know if you care about inequality if you care about you know natural resources you know that are depicted in the film if you care about how uh, you know undocumented immigrants uh, you know that are that are both uh, you know a theme in many of these films but also uh, among the actors uh, there's immediate action that you can you can take as somebody who cares about these issues. So I think, you know, all those things are, are really important. 
and they're they're so achievable now in ways that just a few years ago it would have been very difficult to do. Uh, so you know, one of the things that we do and groups like And Action uh, do is to try to you know give people the the tools and the resources and the connections to uh, you know to make the connection between uh, excitement around story and concrete action that helps make things better. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the conversations on Twitter because that gives me the opportunity to make sure folks know that on Wednesday, the 28th, last day of Black History Month, um, I'm going to uh, be joining in a Twitter town hall that's actually going to be hosted by Stephanie Collier. She is an organizer with the National Black Workers Center. I can't even speak right now. The National Black Workers Center, uh, which is an organization of workers centers of black low income workers who are organizing to improve the quality of jobs. Um, and uh, she's going to be hosting this Twitter town hall around black Panther. And uh, this oh, is her first Twitter town hall. I'm really excited to see folks, you know, from the community organizing world and worker organizing world. Um, she used to work at CWA um, coming in, like doing events like this. So I, I would really love to see all of our listeners come and join us on Twitter at 9 PM Eastern Wednesday night, she's going to be hosting a conversation with discussion questions that we really encourage everyone to to join in and participate in, uh, share their thoughts around the movie's themes as well as activism opportunities. Like, I want to make sure that group that you might not have heard about, well, you probably have heard about Alan, but you as a listener might not have heard about, um, are, you know, that can connect with fans who are looking for ways to take action inspired by the movie, places to bring their talents. Uh, their art, their creativity. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping folks will join us. If you, I know Graphic Policy will be retweeting some of that. I will be tweeting some of that, and the hashtag that we will all be tweeting around is uh, hashtag FanActivistCon, which is what we used for the, you know, for the big conference we did on Monday a week ago, which by the way was awesome, and I thank everyone for their support. Um, so yeah, check in around then, join the conversation and uh, get ready to find out about some cool things people are doing as well as sharing Black Panther feelings, uh, very much centering the voices of, you know, Black workers and Black activists. So that is my pitch to folks. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Actually, one other effort I want to call attention to, I think just made some interesting headway. Um, There was a campaign that uh, individual started called Break Bread Marvel um, that was built around a petition calling on Marvel to uh, use 25, to invest 25% of Black Panther's uh, earnings in African-American communities. Um, so it said uh, specifically um, specifically uh, the the um, the studio should be giving money to community groups based in those communities. Uh, it lists the specific issues that it wants folks to focus on, including gentrification, police brutality, and substandard living conditions. Um, and it was a petition that they encouraged people to sign, which I I I, I signed certainly. And um, the interesting thing is that just today we saw Disney Studios announce that they were putting a um, million dollars into opening new st- 
STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math centers across the country, uh, including one in Oakland, which is, you know, a, the site that in the end of the movie, uh, you know, Shala uh, and Shuri talk about building like a Wakandan government outreach center there. And, you know, I, I, uh, I definitely view the fact that Disney is doing this as the product of fans suggesting that Disney do something like this. Obviously, $1 million is really not anything to Disney. Um, I view this as being an invitation to continue to ask Disney to do more. But I, I was wondering what your thoughts were about it. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you that I, I'm certain that it's an, an outgrowth of, you know, protest and petitioning, which is, is pretty awesome. Uh, full disclosure, I'm a modest Disney shareholder. I, um, I had stock in Marvel Comics for many years from when they were bankrupt and uh, Disney bought oh my God. Uh, Marvel. Yeah. And so now I'm, I'm a Marvel, a, a Disney shareholder, which is kind of an interesting place to be. Um, so, you know, I mean, my first thought is doing something is better than doing nothing. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that this is happening. I think, you know, a million dollars for for STEM is, uh, you know, it's better than not a million dollars for STEM. Yeah. That said, uh, you know, here's why I'm not terribly impressed. Uh, you know, as you said, a million dollars is is a drop in the, the bucket compared to the resources that, you know, Disney's going to reap from this film. And I mean, not only the 700 million that they've just reaped, but in perpetuity, uh, you know, from games and, you know, merchandising and, you know, DVDs and all of that. Um, and so, you know, maybe they're doing more or they're going to do more. But, you know, it, it struck me as a, a very small amount. And I have to say also, I you know, I would love to see them include. So this was um, a million dollars to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America to expand their STEM programs, including uh, this STEM Center of Innovation to be established in Oakland. Uh, and, you know, Boys and Girls Clubs are an incredibly important organization. It would be great to also see support to some community organizations in, in Oakland and elsewhere that are led by people of color uh, that are diverse in their leadership. Uh, you know, that that's what Wakanda would do. Uh, I, I would mm. suspect uh, in terms of, of directing their resources. Uh, and, you know, Disney has the resources to do both. So it doesn't, you know, I'm not suggesting that we should pit one good and important organization against others, but rather uh, Disney can, can invest in, uh, in many of them. Uh, and then, you know, I, I have to note that Disney lobbied very hard for the horrific Trump tax giveaway that served the wealthiest corporations and individuals and starved everyday Americans and especially communities like Oakland. Uh, so, you know, I think you, you, you want to give credit where credit's due. I, I don't think, you know, uh, corporations should be punished for doing something modest. Uh, but I think we also need to remember the the big picture in terms of what, what Disney is both giving and taking from from American communities. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, congratulations, but, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, definitely not enough. I think it's also a great point in terms of like looking at how is it supporting like black leadership and black organizations and also just like focusing only on kids all the time is also kind of an easy way to uh, avoid having to think too capital P politically. Um, I know a lot sure. of folks who work in adult education who are really struggling to get money to help adults do jobs. But I've also seen, you know, I've seen critique from like black leftists of, the end of the movie in terms of the Wakanda outreach center saying like, it sort of sounds like neoliberalism to them. You know, if he's buying a building, isn't that going to result in gentrification? I thought there were some interesting 
I don't feel like it's my space to weigh in on those matters, but I do thought that I thought there were some interesting questions coming from a black leftist perspective around what a Wakandan uh, community center means. But for me, I was just sort of like, oh my God, Black Panthers, right? Because like that's the whole <laughs> right. black actual black actual Black Panthers and the community organizations they started, you know, in terms of right. doing direct services to the communities. Like I always forget because I didn't know this until I went to college. I was like, you know. Yeah, like Black Panthers started by like having Black-run breakfast programs for Black youth yep. in the community, right? So, I don't know. I mean, do you have thoughts about what that Wakandan Outreach Center means or could mean in the future? In, in, well, in the world of the movie, I mean, not in the world yeah, of the real no, life. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, you know, just to step back a little, I think one of the subversive aspects of the film and and of the you know the original storyline is that Killmonger you know act the villain actually has a point right so mm-hmm. you know like as in the you know as with Magneto in the X Men who was you know a, a Holocaust survivor uh, you know the, there's a reason why the, each of these villains believe that actually the better solution is to arm the oppressed and to help them take power from away from the powerful uh, and, you know, in, in their minds from the oppressor. And, you know, the, the film certainly, you know, um, the, the conclusion of the film sides with, uh, you know, the Black Panther as it does with Professor X, right, as the integrationist and, um, you know, the uh, kind of a voice of nonviolence in the sense of, of um, you know, nonviolence towards everyday folks. Uh, but you know, you're, one of the reasons why Killmonger and, and Magneto are compelling villains is because you can understand why they are taking the position that they are taking, and it's you know it, it, you may disagree, but it's not crazy. And so mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a really important and and radical aspect of of this film, and you know, and, and of the particular storyline that they chose and the way they chose to to tell it. So I think you know the the kind of outreach center in in Oakland at the end is, you know, supposed to be a signifier for how can we uh, engage with the world and help others on our own terms, not by, uh, you know, giving away the the store. Uh, Yeah. And I I think there's, you know, there's a conservative interpretation of that. And, uh, you know, when you kind of think about our our own country and, you know, how we engage with aid and, and trade and, you know, accepting refugees and the like, uh, you know, there's some of that, right? We're gonna, we'll take a few of you, and we'll, you know, give you a little money, but we're we're not gonna, you know, throw open the doors. But there's also, you know, a more radical interpretation, which is uh, we're going to engage with the world in exactly the way that we choose, and in a way that begins with the debt that we owe to our you know, brothers and sisters in, in Oakland. Uh, so I, you know, I, I choose to, to go with the latter, uh, interpretation, but I, I can certainly understand the former. I feel like the, the debates over Killmonger have been the main thing that I've seen folks discussing in the movie. Um, a number of folks sort of pointing out that Nakia made many of those points from about the obligations to the world, but not with, without like, you know, killing her, her girlfriend, or in, this, in the case, her boyfriend mm-hmm. in the process of making this point. But um, I don't know. I think, like, the fact that uh, that the, 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 the community center, uh, 
can be interpreted in lots of different ways, I think opens the question of like, what kind of role do you want to see Wakanda playing in, in the future movies um, mm. and the story moving forward? Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest things about this film, at least for me, is that I would watch a film about every one of these characters. You know, mm-hmm. if it was, you know, I mean, if they made a film just about Nakia, I, you know, I would watch it. If it was a film just about Killmonger, uh, you know, I, I would watch it just about Shuri for, for sure, uh, the Black Panther's sister. Um, and so, you know, I'm and I think they recognize, I think and hope that Marvel recognizes what a, a rich world they created, much more so than in really in almost any of, of the, the other films. So, you know, I'm hoping that, um, you know, that Wakanda will, will, number one, have its own cinematic life and, and existence, and that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll actually get to see whether it, you know, what kind of force it becomes. One of the compelling storylines from the, the Reggie Hudlin uh, run was um, actual conflict between it was the, the George W. Bush administration. I guess it's in the 2000s, uh, uh-huh. and uh, you know Condoleezza Rice is featured, and you know it's really uh, you know kind of a battle over there uh, uh, over geopolitical power and resources. I think that would be a really really interesting uh, you know film to make, or at least one aspect of of a storyline, uh, because you know ultimately that's what everyone was, you know, all the Wakandans were afraid of is that if, you know, if we make ourselves known, we're going to immediately become the target of, you know, all the colonizers and and imperialists who, you know, who have ravaged other parts of the continent. And, you know, actually seeing that play out, I think would be, would be really interesting, especially if it kind of follows, um, you know, Reggie's storyline. Yeah, I loved it. It was like, literally critiquing the Iraq war while the Iraq war was like still a going concern. Right. Right. Like that's pretty right. bold. Um, I, I'm a big fan of that part of it for real. Not a big fan of having storm and Chala get married, but other than yeah, that, I'm with you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But other than that, yes, a big mm-hmm. fan of that storyline. Um, you know, I, but I, I think it also is the question of like, I've seen a lot of black folks talk about, you know, well, the point of like, where was Wakanda for, for us during the time of need? And now that Wakanda is known, is Wakanda going to take refugees? You know, who, who's mm. going to come up and move there? I, I don't know if you have thoughts about how as we as fans like can think about those questions. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think the the metaphor is so strong in this case, you know, for the United States at this particular moment, a country mostly founded by uh, refugees that is now, uh, you know, turning away refugees. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I would, I would, lo- and and the, you know, the rationale for turning away refugees is always, well, you know, we, we don't have enough for ourselves, whether or not that's true or, or, you know, just a fantasy. So, you know, I think it would be wonderful to to have that kind of discussion around the film and to really look at what some nations are doing. Uh, you know, there, there are nations around the world that, you know, have, have accepted large numbers of refugees and have, have really uh, integrated them into their communities and benefited from that integration. And there are actually places in the United States like, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Fresno, California, for example, that has has hugely benefited from uh, you know resettling of of refugees, uh, you know uh, parts of Minnesota, and so you know mm-hmm. it would be it would be great you know if the kind of real world conversation could actually be rooted in some of the real solutions and promising approaches, and if the uh, you know the fictional conversation and, and storyline could be visionary about what's, you know, what do we really think if, if we had the power of Wakanda and vibranium, uh, you know, what, what kind of solution could we actually craft to solve the world's problems? That's fabulous. Um, I mean, have you thought about sort of the environmental justice conversation? Because I, I, I that's one thing that I thought, like, I guess the movie didn't really cover as much about the specifics of, like vibranium in terms of being a resource in those ways. But I don't know. I, I was like, you guys, I don't know if you have thoughts about how the movie could handle things like resource extraction in now that Wakanda is more open and like, how do they, you know, keep from overmining? How, how, how do they make it clear that their export is their brains and not just their, you know, their, the metal in the country, et cetera. Right. And w- what has been the cost of mining all of that vibranium? We actually don't know that, mm. right? They, they have this phenomenal city. Nobody appears to be a laborer in, in Wakanda as, you know, depicted in the film, like well, who's actually going down into the vibranium mines and, uh, you know, bringing back this, this precious resource and what, what are and you know we're we're told that it's been you know for a thousand years they've been tapping this uh, this resource uh you know what what have been the what's been the impact on the environment there even, you know and then what what might that mean if it became more widely known and and understood so and you know as you know uh you know historically it's almost always the poorest and most vulnerable folks who are you know pay the biggest price for uh, extraction and its its you know ramifications. So you know I can imagine a really interesting storyline. For example, who are the neighboring countries around uh, you know Wakanda? And you know is there runoff? What are the, are they paying the price for <laughs> Wakanda's wealth? Uh, you know who knows? But uh, I think it, it could be a you know very interesting storyline. And you know and it might be best uh, taken up initially in you know in graphic novel form uh mm. where you you know you, you can tell you know somewhat more new, nuanced and longer story uh and then maybe make its way back into uh the hollywood depictions oh that's a great point actually are you reading any of the current black panther comics because there's like so many series now at long last yeah, you know, I, I did look at the Tanhasi Coates uh, run, actually the first couple, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm way behind. Um, but yeah, I haven't I haven't seen any of the most recent ones, and I do here have to plug our uh, social justice superhero Helvetica Bold. Uh, so we we created her uh, Gan Galan, the uh, the comic book artist, and uh, Betsy Richards, who's our creative director at the Opportunity Agenda, uh, worked together to create Helvetica, Helvetica with a K, uh, who's a social justice superhero. And her comic book is free in PDF form on our website, opportunityagenda.org. So I do have to mention that. Um, but mm-hmm. to answer your question, I've been buying a ton of comic books lately and have not had time because of the Trumpocalypse to actually read any of them. <laughs> so that's my goal yeah. for my next, my next vacation. 
Excellent, excellent. I, I'm behind myself on this, but I, I like the uh, first issue of Evan Narcisse's run on the rise of the Black Panther, which was sort of mm. the story of of of, uh, of T'Challa's father and how he met Ramonda, and um, it felt really nicely dense and almost Claremontian levels of dialogue without being overridden. Mm. Um, and I thought that was a lot of fun. But I'm just excited that there's so many more Black Panther titles coming out now, so you don't have yeah. to have like one title be for everything. And my co-host points out that he really thinks, and I'm not surprised, that, yeah, the Black Panther series from Coates reads best in trade. So, like, if folks haven't yeah. been reading it till now, like, just pick it up as a book now. It'll actually be better now, you know? So Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's what I need to do. Um, uh, well, I want to thank you again for joining us on the show. Um, the uh, the um, the uh, we 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 always like to have guests who can really talk about the intersection of geek culture and and changing the world and all that. Do you guys have anything coming up that you would like to promote from the opportunity agenda? Well, we we have in addition to the Helvetica Bold comic book, we actually have a new uh, coloring and activity book from Helvetica. Uh, which is also free on our our website, and you know both of them are really um, intended to help people who care about social justice be better communicators. So that's the the heart of what we do at the Opportunity Agenda. And so a lot of our advice about leading with shared values and telling systemic stories and um, not you know myth busting and and uh, you know repeating the other side's uh, uh, you know kind of uh, um, lies and, and untruths is all embedded in uh, both the comic book itself and, and the activity book. So I hope your your listeners will check that out and check out Helvetica's adventures on uh, YouTube. And <clears throat> excuse me. And we will be coming out uh, probably at the end of the year with a new social justice communications toolkit, but um, for activists. But uh, our uh, existing toolkit is the I think it's the most popular thing we produce. All of which is is available on the website, uh, and everything's free on the website. So I hope folks will check it out. Opportunityagenda.org, and our Twitter handle is opagenda. O P P agenda. You know I think that there's parts of the toolkit that would really be useful to people who are writing fiction, honestly, in terms of how they think about writing fiction that could have a bigger and greater impact on the world. Because I've seen some people like do some heavy-handed stuff that I don't really think folks are going to enjoy, and I think that the strategies that you guys put out would actually be informative to creative writers as well as folks who are like you know do the kind of things I do for a living, like write petitions. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, so. I think that's really really right because a, a lot of what we do is help folks to. Um, talk about social justice and persuade people who maybe are skeptical, who you know really don't want to be engaged in a social justice conversation. It might be you know your family at Thanksgiving, or like oh there you go again, talking about that stuff. Or it might be you know a, a, an elected official who you're trying to win over. But I think for storytellers, we don't try to you know mess with people's creative process because that would only ruin it. But I think we have a lot of advice that can help people to tell their story in a way that, that can, you know, move new hearts and minds. Totally. Totally. Thank you. Um, and so again, folks, uh, we'd love to see you to, uh, on Wednesday on Twitter to join in the conversation, 9 PM at hashtag fan activist con. 
We also have beautiful and amazing graphics in the form of gifts that were made during the workshop. Um, Center for Story-Based Strategy has this amazing workshop on gift making, and you can see all of the gifts that our folks who participated made if you go to Giphy and you search under hashtag FanActivistCon. They also come up under Black Panther, but there's a lot of gifts under Black Panther, so it takes a while to squirrel to see them. But, but you know, really the goal of those gifts is to help folks use imagery from the Black Panther to like recontextualize stuff from the movie through a political lens. And I know that I've been using the gifts that they've made uh, to illustrate conversations and points that I've been making on Twitter ever since. Um, there's a couple of amazing graphics like, uh, you know, the, um, the Dora Milaji uh, showing up to say ice comes for one of us. We're all, and then they like unite. Um, I'm personally a sucker for anything that talks about fighting ice. Um, not the super villain, but rather the evil government agency. Um, (laughs) you know, there's, um, they made a wonderful gift about, uh, standing up for your coalition partners, gifts about dismantling pa- the patriarchy, uh, gifts for when you're ready for revolution. And these are all just driven by images from the movie. So, again, go to fanactivist.com, fanactivistcon as your search term in Giphy next time you want to put a GIF into your tweet or your Facebook post. And you can pull up one of these amazing gifts that activists like yourselves have made during the workshop, the Center for Story-Based Strategy. Um, so wrapping up the show for tonight, you know, I didn't even introduce myself, but I'm Ilana. I'm online all the damn time on Twitter, especially at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn, Ilana Brooklyn. And if you came late to the episode, you can listen to the whole thing on our website, uh, graphicpolicy.com, where we have news and information about comics and geek media at large coming up multiple times throughout the day. Uh, our podcast is on YouTube. Sorry, our podcast is on YouTube. It's on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, which will be listenable in another couple hours. So we encourage you to share and promote there as well. Uh, and we'll be back next week, actually, really, with the comics writer Christina Strain, uh, who wrote the recent Generation X series at Marvel, which has a lot of really cool, diverse characters and LGBTQ representation in it. She's also a TV writer on the show The Magicians. Um, really awesome young woman of color writing in the TV and comics industry. And I hope you'll join us on Monday to hear from her as well. So thank you, Alan. And thank you to our listeners. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.